This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. morning it's two minutes past nine you're tuned to 102.7 3 R. it's time for this week's edition of radio marinara we are the program about all things wet and salty my name's bron burton and my name happens to be dr beach hi dr beach i'm very well i'm still excited after last week i'm coming down from a high <laughs> after our outside broadcast celebrating 20 years yeah we're now 20 years in one day <laughs> On to the next right. 20 years. Hey, um, firstly, many thanks to Tim for uh, for Vital Bits. Beautiful stuff. Thank you. As always. Yes. Thank you, Tim. Uh, and, yes, um, last week, thank you so much to everyone who turned out. There were a lot of people there, Dr Beach. People who turned out and people who tuned in. Yes. It was wonderful for those of you who were on the airways and now not down at Rye. There was a gang. And what I really enjoyed was sitting up there and looking out, not only over the people in the bar, and, and thanks to the people at Baja, but out to the bay. Well, the fort, you know, the tea trees and, you know. We knew it was there. We knew it was there. It was, a, it was really a lovely experience. Yeah. And we thanked um, a lot of people at the end of the show, but there were a few people who I missed and a very, very, very important person who I missed was Nerida Haycock, who sat in the Triple R studios for two hours, you know, minding, minding things here, getting ready to suddenly cross in case we had a technical malfunction, which thank goodness didn't happen, but thank you so much, Nerida. She was on my list of people to thank and we were so um, out of time. Yes, Shane, apologies. We know we ate a little bit 
into uh, Einstein. And um, but thank you very much for donating a little bit of your time. Um, that wasn't us. That was Henry Wagon. <laughs> No, it wasn't. It was us. But, um, yeah, look, and thanks, Nerida, so much. Um, Donna Morabito, who organised um, some of our interviews and sort of was our local contact down there. Um, and a couple of former Marinara crew were there, uh, Dr Beach. So Cass Philippou, who's done our Maritime Heritage uh, segment for many years. I did see Cass there. Yeah, and Rachel Bathgate, who was one of the original Marinarians. Marinarians? Yeah, man- Marinarians. I don't remember Rachel. It was Marinites. before my time. Um, and uh, Dave Houch and our station manager was there as I well. I know. How nice of Dave to come down. I didn't know Dave was going to be there. So, look, thanks, everyone, for coming. A um, few subscribers who I wanted to thank um, who came up after the program when we were off air. So um, Wayne and Greta Hill, who have been subscribing as long as we've been going to air Why? and even more every single year. So thanks, guys. Um, Tony Sowsby, local artist from the peninsula and the, um, that eastern side of the bay. Amazing. He, he was down there as well. And a special thanks to Chris O'Neill, who is a triple R subscriber, who just came up and gave us a birthday card. Oh. With a seal on the front. Oh, yes, that that was Chris. That was beautiful. Thank you, Chris. And, uh, yeah, many thanks again to Baja. And they gave us a birthday cake, which no one was expecting. It was a churro cake. So, yeah, look, thanks. It's All right. Delicious. On to our program today. Dr Beach, we're, we're getting back into what we do. We are. I'm going to do a lab. I'm going to do a Life's at Beach and talk about a couple of papers in the scientific literature which have come out in the last couple of weeks which have piqued my interest and I think might pique the interest of our listeners. Excellent. Um, we are then, uh, I think, to be confirmed, crossing to Terry Allen uh, to get a dive report. Mm-hmm. I went for a snorkel after the show last week. Oh, did you? Nearly dived. Off right here? Yeah. I did some duck diving. What'd you say? That's as close as I've come for a long time. Amazing. Rhipiera is very different to when I dived at last, which was a very long time ago. Uh, an enormous amount of growth on the pylons. Just lots of... Animals, plants. Yeah, sponges, ascidians. Um, they were the kind of the key... Sticking to the sessile pylons. marine invertebrates. Yeah, sticking to the pylons. In fact, that's one of the topics I'm going to talk about in about 10 minutes. Excellent. How things stick. Great. And glues that we have. There were seahorses, but I didn't see them. Um, How do you know they were there? Because PT was pointing them out to me. They were kind of right down the bottom and I kept snorkeling down and ran out of air and She might have been yanking your chain. I don't think so. No, she wasn't because she's since posted photos up on Facebook. Mm. They've got dates and times on them, those photos? (laughs) You're such a cynic. No, they were definitely there. Um, some rays. There are some local rays that kind of crew. One they called Stumpy, I think. The rye rays. Rye ray, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Oh, great. So I'm very, um, very fired up now to go diving. Uh, so anyway, we'll, get, we'll hopefully get a dive report from Terry. We're then going to cross to Barwon Heads to catch up with Mark Rodrigue. He was on our program last week talking specifically about Western Port. He's going to be telling us more. That was sort of more wearing his formal day job hat. This week he's going to be talking about Festival of the Sea. Which is next weekend. Yes, at Bowen Heads. I might be able to get down there. We might stay at our good friend Keir's place. And maybe we can do a cross to you, Dr Beach, next week. In situ you can tell us all about what's going on at Would Festival be a of the Sea Bowen Heads. Yeah, I've never been to the Festival of the Sea and perhaps we can um, get Mark on the blower for a quick... Um, Quick talk, not only this week, but next week down there. Yeah, well, there's a great film night coming up uh, this Wednesday, which we're going to talk to Mark about as well, with our very good friend Mick Sowery, who's going to be presenting Musica Surfica. Um, But there's more going on there, so we'll talk to Mark about that. And then, very exciting, coming back to Radio Marinara... Is our own Jeff Maynard. Yay!
So uh, Jeff got very busy last year and had to step away, but he's come back. We're very excited. And he's going to be bringing a... Um, the only clues he gave me was a, a submarine movie that has direct links to International Women's Day. Oh, so there's going to be hot marine biologists on the submarine. Well, I really? <laughs> Dr. Peach? <laughs> maybe we'll go for a, a slightly different angle on the marine biologist this year. We'll see. <laughs> I know you speak in jest. All right, we've got time for weather. Uh, we have, yes. Today's going to be 29 degrees, um, and so partly cloudy, high chance of showers in the early morning, becoming less likely by the afternoon. Chance for thunderstorm, that's exciting. Uh, winds east to southeast, 15 to 20 knots, uh, no kilometres per hour, tending northwest to northeast, then tending south to southwest in the late afternoon. Tomorrow, 26 degrees, partly cloudy. Tuesday, 32 degrees. Wednesday, 33 degrees and sunny. Thursday, 31 degrees. Friday, 28 degrees, and Saturday, 31 degrees. So it's maintaining the warmth. A lot of people have been saying this, you know, this is unusual, but I remember, I remember back in the summer of 1989, it was exactly like this. We had a pretty cold, dismal summer, and then March was warm. Mm. Some people might call it an Indian summer, but I think it's normal. And anyway, unusual, Every, but, but not that unusual. It's the thing about Melbourne and its summers. You never know what you're going to get, do you? Every summer seems to be different from the one before. You never know what you're getting any day. True. In Melbourne. True. I'm going to attempt a surf report uh, from Swellnet. Swell, small swells, small swells. I try and say that a lot. Small swells and light northeasterly winds are favouring the open beaches east of Melbourne. East of Melbourne. Dr. Surf wouldn't be pleased about that. I should be saying it's all west. Well, that's what he was saying last week. Yeah, last week he doesn't, yeah. He, well, anyway, the morning potential is looking fun, 0.75 metre waves at Portsea and Gunnamatta, though a little slow and inconsistent. So fun, fun waves down in Dr Surf's territory. Everybody get down there nice. and say hi, Dr Surf. Dr Beach said to get down here and join you. They know Whereas it, on the surf coast, it's beginners will find worthwhile options at Janjuk and Fairhaven. They know what he looks like now. Yeah, he's been outed. Uh, tides, if you're interested in getting out on the water, you'll want to know what the tides are doing at Point Lonsdale, that is the heads. Uh, there was low water at just before 6am this morning and high water is going to be at around 12.30 in the early afternoon. And that's a high water of 1.32 metres. Fabo. I'm going to do a really quick plug and then we're going to listen to some music. This is uh, an exhibition. Um, we're hoping to actually have someone from the exhibition coming and speaking with us. It's called Weaving the Waterways, Women and Fishing. It's a new exhibition at the Koori Heritage Trust, uh, curated by Glenda Nichols. It actually opened yesterday. It explores Aboriginal women's relationships with rivers and waterways of Victoria through a major installation of new and existing works by artist and guest curator Glenda Nichols, accompanied by new works from friends, fellow artists Claire Bates, Donna Blackhall, Deanne Gilson, Georgia Maguire and Bronwyn Razum. And it's all about net making and it actually opened last night. There was a special opening uh, yesterday, sorry, during the afternoon. And it runs until uh, May 14. So you've got quite a lot of time to see it. Sounds like an excellent exhibition and something to um, plan into for those of you with kids. School holidays coming up. It'd be a great thing to take the kids to. Um, so pop that in your diaries and we're hoping to um, have Glenda Nichols or one of the artists on the program in the small weeks ahead. Nice. I'd like to talk about a paper which has appeared in the, um, in the scientific literature. This one's from Applied Materials and Interfaces. The okay. illustrious journal, which I'm sure we all subscribe to. Um, Applied this is just, materials and interfaces. Yeah, it's, it's an organ of the American Chemical Society. Okay, I was wondering if it was an engineering um, 
journal. No, this is fun chemistry. This is applied chemistry. Biomimetics is where we look at what nature does and we try and emulate that to make a product which might be as good as the natural one. All sorts of examples, this, you know, wings of planes look a little bit like, if you cut them open, they look a little bit like the wings of birds, honeycomb and all of that. Mm. Many people in the marine world are interested in sticking things underwater, so they need a glue to do it. And in fact, we have been talking about the great sponge transplant um, quite a bit lately, and people have been... AJ, all those people we've been talking to down at Blairgarry Pier have been using superglue, or a product which is derived from superglue, which is called cyanoacrylate resin, to try and stick the sponges onto the pylons. That works pretty well. There are these people at Purdue University, which is in West Lafayette, Indiana, just across the Wabash River from Lafayette, Indiana. Mm -hmm. And they have been looking at mussels. So we know that mussels, oysters, shellfish in general are really good at sticking themselves to other things underwater, whether it be rocks, whether it be the pylons, whether it be other mussels or oysters. They have these threads that we might have seen. I was just washing some um, Port Arlington mussels the other night and we cooked them on Friday night. They were delicious. And they have these bissel threads, little kind of cottony things which come off. So they use those to stick themselves to other mussels and to pylons, but they also make these plaques which are made of a similar material that you see in the bissel threads. And these are like little... If you have mussels in a, in a tank, for example, then you can see those they put them to the outside, to the inside of the tank. So this is a really good natural glue which mm. works underwater. This group of people at um, Purdue University decided to try and find out what was in there. Well, we've known what is in these materials. It, it's made up of various different proteins and a few other compounds. They tried to make a, um, a copy of this mm -hmm. and try and improve on it a little bit to see if they could make a really good marine glue. And the long and the short of it is that, indeed, this thing has worked amazingly. It's called polycatechol styrene, and it may be the strongest underwater adhesive found to date. Mm. And what's really cool about it is that it works not only underwater, but it works better in seawater, so if there's a bit of salt around, there's a bit of those ions, than it does in deionised water or right. fresh water. And because the, other, the, because the sodium is reacting with something else Oh, yeah, in the something compound? like that, yeah. I, yeah I, I'm a bad chemist. I don't really understand the chemistry. Okay. But, yeah, it's, it's called polycatechine. Polycatechol styrene. Okay. So not quite polystyrene, but polycatechol styrene. Okay. And earlier work, had people had used actually polystyrene and put the like, tiny little polystyrene threads and put this stuff from the muscles, these proteins from the muscles around that, that worked pretty well, but now these guys have actually emulated the stuff that the muscles are making mm. and added a few other, tweaked it a tiny bit, and they've made this glue, which really amazingly for a biomimetic product, so it's something which is trying to emulate what nature's doing, it's doing it even better. So it's adhering, so you can use it to stick wood together, you can stick all sorts of things to bits of aluminium, to PVC, underwater with this, and it works astoundingly well. Think about the applications because it's it's interesting. It'll depend on who uh, comes across this. The fisheries people will be thinking, "Great, we can use this for for fisheries." So for oh, this has had a lot of press already. In fact, I picked it up as a little bit in Nature. Right. So they 
highlight really fantastic stuff which has come out in the week and they refer to other journals for it and that's how I got it. So I'm sure that all the people who are into this will know it. But yes, the applications are amazing. Oh, and I'm thinking I'm thinking immediately conservation applications. Yeah. And I know that speaking with AJ and the crew down at Blegowry that they have had problems with the glue that they managed to source. It's uh, obviously yeah, he, a more he, primitive version of, of what has been created now. But you think about that, that things underwater need replacing all the time and it's the uh, local... Um, plants and animals that end up wearing the cost, but maybe that doesn't have to be the case. Yeah, and this is um, natural, well, kind of natural, yeah. and it's non-toxic, yeah. although they have shown that it's non-toxic. So that's really cool. That's very cool. And AJ, I shoved it in AJ's face last week, but he didn't have time to look at it, so I'm sure <laughs> You shoved it in my it. face too, and I was <laughs> like, When you were about to go in, about 30 seconds later, I was like, oh, yeah, here's this cool paper. You might want to talk about this. Bron's <laughs> trying to process this, like, you know, high-strength underwater bonding with poly with polymer mimics muscle adhesive proteins. I know, I'm speed re- trying to speed read through the abstract and I'm getting the big, you know, 10 seconds still back to air. I can and see I your eyes wink. whirling around. <laughs> I had kaleidoscope eyes at that point. I thought we might have to put it off till this week. That's really cool. There's, I, I love this field of research. There's all sorts of stuff that's being done and has been done. Um, when I was going through at university, there was a, a whole field dedicated to um, non-toxic anti-fouling paints mm-hmm. um, created from uh, natural products cre- made by algae yeah. specifically. So there's what are called secondary metabolites that are produced by algae to stop things from growing on them, um, epiphytic uh, parasitic organisms, I think is yeah. what we call it. Well, it, Do yeah. we? Or epiphytic? Epiphytic is something which grows, grows on, on another plant. Yeah, that's right. So um, so you, you get particular types of algae that produce these chemicals that stop things from growing on them. And so this particular lab, they were based in New South Wales, was looking at ways of creating this or extracting and then using this natural product rather than having to go for the really nasty stuff that um, boating industries paint on the bottom of... Yeah, those anti-fouling paints are pretty rank. They're nasty, they're toxic. They've got all sorts of heavy metals in them which leach out into the environment. Exactly right. So that was what this was all about. It's such a great field. And the other thing I forgot to mention with this is it it even sticks stuff to Teflon. Right. There's one other paper That's I want to talk about quickly, and this appeared in um, the journal Science on the 17th of February, and this is entitled Seagrass Ecosystems Reduce Exposure to Bacterial Pathogens of Humans, Fishes and Invertebrates. This is a study which is done by um, lots of different people um, around the place, including some people from Queensland um, and also from Cornell University, where they're looking at a group of islands in Indonesia, which is off the left-hand side of Sulawesi, Um, These are islands which are surrounded by coral and some of these islands are also surrounded by seagrass. So they're little islands which have various numbers of people living on them. Uh, There's no sewerage there. There's no, well, there's there's no processing of sewerage, so Mm. sanitation things are not highly developed. Some of these islands have, they're all surrounded by coral and then some of them, between the coral and the shore, there are beds of seagrass. We know that seagrass provides all sorts of what we could call ecosystem services to us, you know, fish nurseries, um, carbon capture, and we've had people on this program talking about that. In fact, we're going to have someone on in a few weeks talking about that as well. They clean up the water, but people have never gone in and actually assessed the number of bacteria, the number of potentially pathogenic bacteria, which are associated or not associated with seagrasses. What this group has done is that they've performed... Well, not an experiment, but they've taken these islands, so they've taken paired groups of islands in this archipelago, 
And they've compared, they've tested the water in islands which are surrounded by seagrass mm. with islands which are not surrounded by seagrass. When they have a look at the water which is on the shore, there's a heap of bacteria in there. I mean, like, you know, 100 times more than the recommended dosage of enterococci and all sorts of other pathogenic bacteria because there is no sanitation. If they then look at the water, take water samples from above the seagrass meadows, dramatically reduced. Wow. It's clean. The water's pretty darn clean. Whereas if they have a look at ones which at islands which are paired with these in the test, which don't have seagrasses and take water samples there, then they are looking pretty rank. It hasn't been cleaned up. And then if they go further out and look at the coral belt, which is around there, around the coral, so the reef system, where there is, on, on the islands where you've got seagrasses present, that water is really clean as well around the corals. And it's not when you don't have seagrasses mm. present. So this is, and they've done a number of different tests, a number of ways of looking at the water. And it's a pretty robust, you know, fantastic paper, which, well, it got into the journal Science. And this is showing for the first time that seagrasses, in addition to giving us all those other services, which we really, not only do we value, but the natural environment values, mm. seagrasses are also cleaning up the water dramatically to get rid of these pathogenic bacteria. What the people also did in this survey was then look at the diseases. There's a number of different diseases that you can just eyeball on corals. So, you know, kind of growths and I forget the names of them. It's like what, not white spot disease, but lots of different things. These were dramatically reduced in the coral belts, which were, you know, associated with seagrasses just at the inside. So is there potentially a direct link between these um, faecal bacteria and those diseases that are affecting the corals? Yes, Absolutely. So the next question is, do we know how the seagrass... No, this is the big question at the mm. end. So, you know, this is the initial work. This is the first time a study has been done like this and has shown pretty demonstrably that there is a beneficial effect from the seagrasses. But what the action is, what the mechanism is, they do not know yet. Mm. So this is work for, you know, a whole lot of graduate students in these people's labs oh. to now go off and find out exactly what it is. I love how those academic empires get established and then build and grow and you can see this one's going to go great places. Where are they again? Um, the lead author, Jaloa Lam, is at Cornell University and then we have Haron uh, Vantavorta. Um, he's from, is it Ames in Townsville? Yep. And then we have people from JCU, from James Cook University in Townsville as well. But there's a string of about 10 authors there. And for those of you, uh, this might even be freely available. This is in the 17th of February issue of Science my mother's birthday. <laughs> Thanks, Dr Beach. That's a pleasure. Nice little one to finish up on there. Hi, this is Tony Barber. Do you like fish? Or maybe marine invertebrates? Listen to Radio Marinara for all things wet and salty. Sundays at 9am on 102.7 3 Triple R. Oh, nice. Tony Barber there. That brings back memories, Dr Beach. It certainly does. We haven't heard that one for ages. No, we haven't. Trawling hey. through the archives. Um, and that really is Tony Barber, isn't it? Yeah. There's a story behind how we got that sting. Do we have time to tell it? No. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell it another time. It's quite a funny story, though. He was wonderful, I have to say. He was, uh, he was a chance encounter. A chance encounter. In, in a bar one Friday night. And, um, a chance encounter yes. with Tony Barber in a bar on a Friday night. I want to hear the whole story. And then, well, that's pretty much it. And then the next what thing... What did Saturday morning look like? I don't remember. It was a very long time ago, <laughs> Dr Veach. <Beach. laughs>
the next thing, uh, oh, I woke up Saturday morning and found I had Tony Barber's business card and he recorded the sting for us. <laughs> the things you do for this program. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, I'll tell you who else is doing great things for this program is our dive reporter, Terry Allen, because I've completely put her on the spot and no, she wasn't supposed to do a dive report today, but she's going to do one anyway. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Bron. How are you doing? Oh, good. It seems lately when you've been ringing me, I'm recovering from a big night out and um, had a sleep on a yacht and <laughs> trying to blow the cobwebs away sitting down here at uh, Flinders Pier. Oh, very nice. What's it like down at Flinders Pier? Mm. Is it stormy? Uh, yes, it's a nasty southeasterly, so uh, it's bouncing around and uh, not, no good for diving here today. So um, the easterlies, I think people need to go across to uh, Rye or Wegary, something like that. Now, have you been um, in the water much during the week? Uh, no, I haven't really. Um, I've been uh, only diving virtually. <laughs> uh, been cave teaching cave diving, doing cave diving uh, last week. We had actually went to a cave diving wedding last weekend. So, um, but um, I hear the spy the spider crabs are on the march. You probably uh, talked about that a bit last week. And um, the conditions have been, well, yesterday conditions were fantastic. Uh, as we sailed out through the heads, there were lots of dive boats out, beautiful visibility and extremely calm. And, um, yeah, so it's been an amazing late summer producing beautiful conditions for Melbourne. Yeah, I heard, um, uh, oh, I saw, sorry, um, through various Facebook channels that the spider crabs are on the march. There was an article, I think, mm. in the Herald Sun during the week about it, just saying that they were here a bit earlier than usual um, and that they're uh, sort of somewhere around Bleagowry at the moment, as you mentioned. So um, always, of course, important to take care if you're going out there and checking them out. There's a lot of safety things that need to be considered. But, um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they are... Yeah, it's, I think they're still kind of moving around. They tend, you know, we, we usually don't get them until like late April, early May, where they, you know, start molting and start doing their stuff. But um, they, they were in big numbers, you're right. It was a bit unexpected. But I think um, the theory goes that they're sort of still... Because one day there'll be, you know, thousands there, and then the next day people go to check them out and they're all gone or they've all moved. So mm. I think if, you, if you're particularly interested, it's fantastic... Facebook uh, page called Spider Crabs of Melbourne and um, that's really good to go there and you'll get the very latest updates of where they are and, and well worth if you're not a diver, fantastic snorkel, you know, if the visibility is okay, you know, it's a chance to see um, as we've talked about many times before, uh, quite a unique um, unique phenomenon that's uh, you know, as far as I know is only seen here in, in Port Phillip Bay and yeah, to see tens of thousands of any sort of animal is incredible um, yeah, so it's well worth a, a try to go down and have a look. Fantastic. And so your tip for today, if you want to get in the water, is somewhere on, around that um, that uh, sort of southern part of the Mornington Peninsula? Yeah, yeah, because we're... All, because we've got a... Well, I don't know what it's like in Port Phillip Bay, but as I said, we've got quite a, a strong southeasterly here. Um, so you'd need to, yeah, go down south. Mornington itself might be OK. Um, yeah, but I think the wind is actually meant to drop off again this afternoon. So I think this is just a brief cold, cool front going through. So, yeah. Yeah, awesome. All right. Hey, thanks, Terry. And thanks for letting us put you on the spot. And we'll let you go and continue <laughs> with your recovery. And um, look forward to having you in studio really soon. Okay, no worries, bro. Cheers, thanks. See ya. See ya. She's Bye. a brick. She is indeed. Thanks, Terry.
This is Radio Marinara. You're listening to 3RRR. We're now going to cross to Barwon Heads to catch up with John Duthie and Mark Rodrigue. They're going to be talking about the Festival of the Sea, which is coming up next weekend for, I believe, the 17th time. Good morning, John, I think we're starting with. Okay, Bron, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad, good. Hey, 17 years, congratulations. Yeah, it seems it seems it seems longer than that sometimes. But yeah, seventeen years. So uh, I remember the first year I phoned Radio Marinara and spoke to you. That seems like seventeen years ago. <laughs> and and yet it seems like yesterday. Hey, yeah. um, just for um, people who are maybe tuning in for the first time, tell us about Festival of the Sea and um, particularly Festival of the Sea at Barwon Heads because it's a very it's a unique event, isn't it? Well, we 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 kind of hope so. <laughs> we kind of hope so. The 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 festival actually has a main day on the, uh, which is next Sunday, March the nineteenth. So that's kind of the the usual big festival thing with plenty of food and activities and music and street vendors and all the usual festival things. But the week leading up to the Sunday this this coming week, we also hold a, a whole range of environment based events and activities, um, and it's all about just trying to connect people with with the sea um as you can imagine in the 17 years since we started the the festival the 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 township of barwon heads has changed incredibly it's gone from a tiny little village to a slightly bigger village and there's an entirely new demographic and the size of the school's gone from 200 kids to 500 kids and so kind of connecting a whole different group of people to, to, to the ocean and to the estuary is really important for us. Um, and the schools uh, is a really big component of the program this year, isn't it? Yeah, well, it always has been, but as I just said, the, the, the school keeps just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, so we kind of have to keep expanding our, our activities a bit. So, you know, uh, Tuesday night we've got the, the crazy... Uh, marine science night with the grade threes and their parents this is a really good opportunity for us to talk to adults actually which is uh, which is always good fun so we just have a, a range of activities there uh, the Wednesday we take a whole heap of grade ones grade ones and twos down onto the rock pools um so 50 grade one kids on a rock pool that's always another adventure in life for us as well <laughs> but, uh, but, but uh, again, you know, just just getting kids up close and personal with uh, that fabulous marine environment. John, it's Dr. And Beach here. That, whoops, sorry, interrupting you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, there's school kids at Barwon Heads and across the water in Ocean Grove, but whole Bellarine. What, which school kids you got coming in? No, no, no. Basically, we just use uh, we just use we just work with the, the Barwon Heads Primary School. Um, it's it's it. it we, it's just a, it's just a resources thing mainly, um, just being able to get um, a couple of hundred kids out into the environment is is pretty hard without kind of dragging in a few hundred kids from the, the local surrounding schools. We have actually talked about doing a month of activities leading up to the festival, and that way we could probably cater for a few more schools. 
Yeah, that's... It, it'd, it'd probably drive us all to early retirement. But, <laughs> but I'm sure, um, as with all schools, most schools have got a really strong parent volunteer base, and there's a really big opportunity yeah. here to create some um, some uh, educated, and I'm sure a lot of them already are, but parents of kids in the local primary schools give them an opportunity to, to get a really good, mm. solid understanding of the local ecology that they can then use, and, you know, on and on it goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's kind of an interesting argument, you know, the, uh, there's the notion that we should be doing lots of stuff with our kids because they're our future. Our kids actually do an, an awful lot in the school. The, yeah. the kids we take out of have been doing a lot about local environment and local marine environment for a number of years, so they're, they're an absolute joy to take out because the, the starting point is actually always really strong. And you're right, we don't do enough with 39-year-olds um, who, who and getting them uh, intimate and connected with our with with the environment. You mean thirty uh, individual nine year olds, not adults who are thirty nine. No, I meant thirty nine year olds. <laughs> right, you did. That's 40, what we were thinking. Forty year olds. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> hey, um, can we talk about the film night um, on Wednesday? Because this is really exciting. Yeah, listen, I might hand you over to Mark to talk about the films because uh, that's kind of been a bit of a baby of his this year. Yeah, excellent. Okay. Morning, all. Hey, Mark, how are you doing? Yeah, we're good. Excellent. Um, yeah, we've just been speaking about the, the schools program and uh, up to that point in the program where the film night, surf film night, which is on um, Wednesday. So what you got lined up? That's right. Yeah, we've got... Uh, we're. we're Absolutely wrapped, and again, thanks to you, Bron, for the uh, for the introductions there. Uh, John and I actually had brec- uh, sort of a breakfast coffee thing on Friday morning with the wonderful Mick Sowry from down in uh, Torquay, who made his way all the way over here from Torquay, uh, <laughs> who's going to basically present on the night along with uh, another wonderful artist, a guy called Jan Hendrik Bruggenmeier. And together, they'll basically give a little bit of a story of their connections with the sea. And again, uh, John was just talking about the connections with 39 and 40 year olds. Well, this is the opportunity to hear from two people who've got a very intimate connection with the environment and particularly the marine environment through art and film and uh, as you know very well yourself I think you may have even had Mick on the show previously, um, there's a very deep long lasting connection with the sea and that's again what we're trying to sort of work through through our film. So Mick will be showing his uh, his epic film from a few years back called Music of Surfica in full uh, we'll have the, the full uh, full resources of the Bowen Heads Community Hall PA system cranked <laughs> to 11 uh, and and we'll also have, obviously, the big screen and uh, both uh, Mick and Jana are going to present and talk a little bit about their connections with the sea and hopefully stay around for a bit of a chat with some of the locals as well. It'll be amazing to see it on the big screen. Um, I've seen... Absolutely. I've been to uh, The Reef, which... And The Reef mix other um, big production, which I understand um, was uh, performed in London last night or yesterday. Well, I, th- I, believe, I believe so. It's sometime around now. I, I, he was actually sort of... Initially, when he, um, I, I rang him and asked him about sort of coming to the festival, he was sort of tr- tossing up the idea of travelling to London to go and see the uh, the full expose with the Australian Chamber Orchestra. And um, it certainly sounded at the time to me like a pretty exciting event. I thought we've got Buckley's of getting him down here. But uh, to, to our delight, uh, he said Bowen Heads is the place to be rather than London. So 
good on Mick. I think on Friday he was having some slight uh, twinges of regret. <laughs> <laughs> I think he he was saying he really liked to Skype in and just watch the audience and watch what was going on. And yeah, they were talking about he was talking about the projection that they were using over there. So that yeah, the reef is getting a full uh, full flogging basically over at uh, over in London. But uh, we'll be having the original music of Surfica here in Bowen Heads on Wednesday night. Free for anyone who's in the area and wants to come along at the uh, at the um, Bowen Heads Community Hall in, in Hitchcock Avenue. Uh, hi, Mark. It's um, Dr. Beach here. So it's culminating on, on Sunday, the, the Festival of the Sea. What, describe what's going to happen on Sunday. Well, Sunday's, uh, Sunday's historically been the big day out, basically, in Bowen Heads style. So it starts for some of us extremely early in the morning with traffic management and putting up, you know, sort of flags on the bridge and doing the whole thing to sort of make the tart the tat up a bit in terms of colour and movement and light and shades of all sorts of uh, all sorts of festive uh, materials being crea- uh, getting out there. So we we basically uh, we're on pretty well from about nine thirty ish. The uh, the stalls, so the environment expo, the um, the food vendors, etc. The coffee machines are all running hot pretty well at that time of the day. Um, and from then on, it's pretty well. It's it's. Uh, Dawn till dusk, the music uh, from a couple of stages. We've got a very active kid zone with some wonderful sort of local artists who are putting together a fantastic pirate show and drumming workshops. We've got... um as I said, the Environment Expo happening, and then in the middle of the afternoon we have the uh, the fundraiser event, which is the which is the fabulous, uh, infamous sometimes uh, duck race, where the ducks basically uh, a whole lot of plastic ducks basically uh, carefully numbered and uh, taken out onto the uh, onto the bridge and loaded off uh, off the back of utes and into the uh, into the uh, river. Uh, this year they're travelling upstream at around about four o'clock. Um, those ducks are basically sold for ten bucks each, and they that basically covers the cost of the entire festival. And I, I do want to really quickly point out, because I know you're both probably aghast at the thought of plastic ducks going into the ocean, we have not once in 16 years lost a single duck. <laughs> Last year when we had the Environment Minister on the banks watching, I was a bit nervous, uh, <laughs> but we still, again, managed to maintain our record. I can imagine. So they're all numbered and you've got a big net upstream or something to grab them. Oh, no, no, basically, not a net. Basically, yeah, a, a net and lots of people and canoes and boats and things cool. like that basically scooping frantically to try and get them all out and quickly in. And uh, in, amongst all the, uh, in amongst all the excitement, uh, we actually select a couple of the uh, the first across the line is uh, get some wonderful prizes, etc. But look, as I said, that, that the entire point of it is really is as a fundraiser and that pays for some of our environment events that were happening during the week, the previous night, Sunday, uh, Saturday night. We've got some opera singing in the, on the foreshore. We've got some great stuff happening through the week with environment things, as John talked about. And, uh, yeah, that's what pays for pretty well everything. Got a couple of nice sponsorships from uh, City of Geelong and uh, Bendigo Bank. But other than that, it's, uh, it's all basically down to the ducks. Fantastic. Hey, Mark, we're going to let you go. We're going to put um, a link to your uh, website on our Facebook page, so festivalofthesea.com.au. It's pretty easy to find. And that full lineup, including um, other things, there's an Art, Art Connections ex- exhibition, um, which is uh, on next Sunday as well, the Bowen Heads Foreshore. Um, we've mentioned the film night. Uh, and there's some art workshops taking place as well, um, hosted by Festival of the Sea, um, taking place all week at the Bowen Heads Community Arts Garden as well. So, so much stuff going on. Um, we'll put that link on our Facebook page and our listeners can check out the details for themselves. Beautiful. All right. Well, hopefully we'll see you down, down in the head sometime in the next week or so. Well, I'm actually hoping to um, get down there for next Sunday, so I might see you. I'll let you know if I'm down there. Excellent.
Excellent. Well, look out, look out for us. I'll be one of the crazy people wearing a fluoro so running around the place like a headless chook. Look out for that person. <laughs> headless duck, I should say. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Good on you guys. Thank you. All right, cheers. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, John. See you later. Festival of the Sea, the 17th Festival of the Sea down in Bowen Heads next week. The beautiful heads of Bowen. Indeed. Good morning, Jeff Maynard. Good morning, Brian Burton. Welcome back. Oh, it's, it's, it feels like I haven't been away. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel like that to us. We really noticed your absence. We're so uh, pleased you're back. Uh, it's only been about eight or nine months. Just <laughs> yeah. Anyway, look, yeah, look, back and ready to fire. And as I said, last Wednesday was International Women's Day and I know how to respect all those sort of things. So I've come along with a submarine movie that really gives some great insights into sort of male-female relationships and, and everything. And it's a 1959 Hollywood movie. Oh. So if you go to 1950s Hollywood, who better right. to talk about, you know, um, <laughs> male-female relationships starring even better, Cary Grant and Tony Curtis. Um, <laughs> And a couple of women who don't sort of really rate, which sort of says something. Um, anyway, it's called Operation Petticoat. Right. Oh, I think I remember It's the this. opening days of um, the US involvement in World War II in the Pacific. So it's um, uh, late 41. And uh, poor Cary Grant, uh, he's got the unluckiest submarine in the Navy because every time they're halfway due doing halfway through doing something at the docks Japanese zeros fly over and they have to sort of rush off to sea with everything half done so they take to sea in a crappy old submarine stop at an island and they find five nurses who have been abandoned US Navy nurses take them on board and uh, halfway through arguing that they shouldn't come on board Japanese zeros fly over and they have to get them blow decks and take off so it's a good sort of close confinement of a submarine to study male female kind of issues so it starts off with um, uh, well just normal banter sailor yes ma'am you'll never get it to work that way what do you know about machinery i was raised with it my father was chief engineer at the Seattle Power Plant. Hey, look, lady, in the first place, I'm trying to make do with something that don't even belong in a submarine. In the second place, you can't install a new valve spring if you ain't got it. Now will you get out of here? You're talking to an officer. Maybe Congress made you an officer, but God made you a woman, and a woman just shouldn't mess around with a man's machinery. Now for the last time, get out, will you? Wow. No, it gets better because it's a very fair film because it shows the story of of all this from both sides, female and and male side. So uh, Tony Curtis being Tony Curtis gets interested in one of the the nurses. And um, anyway, so after they've they've been caught doing things, um, the, the women discuss where they're going in their life. What happened? Nick kissed me and I kissed him back. Don't you think you're rushing things a little bit? I mean, love underwater is fine if you're a fish, but shouldn't you wait till you come up for air? Major, my mother had a very simple outlook on life. She always said, never worry about getting married. Someday you'll turn the right corner and meet the right man. I've been turning corners for 24 years. Do you know, I think I finally turned the right one. So, why go back out in that crowd and get lost again? Barbara, if you're right, I'm in more trouble than I figured. You're 24 and I'm 38. You know, I may not be able to make it to the next corner. So, it's full of great lines. It, it is full of great lines. But anyway, look, um, that, that's the, the males come along with a perspective and uh, Kerry Grant really comes up with some uh, great line too. So he explains sort of all those issues from the, from the male point of view. Captain. What? I've looked up and down this boat and I can't find Mr Holden or Barb, uh, 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 Lieutenant Duran. No kidding. 
and the number three life raft is missing. Well, fancy that. Well, if they're gone and the number three raft is gone... Now, listen to me. You ever been to Las Vegas? Because up there, the boys would say you're trying to make your point the hard way. See, when a girl's under 21, she's protected by law. When she's over 65, she's protected by nature. Anywhere in between, <laughs> she's fair game. My God. <laughs> so we've sort of got it all sorted. Um, anyway, anyway. I'm, I'm surprised the phone's not going nuts here. <laughs> I think I'm think our listeners are well, on board with the um, yes yeah I think on board they'll, they'll get on get board on board with the yeah. whole thing. Um, <laughs> where were we? Oh look, they, the they, 1950s. What a time! Yeah, wow. What a time! Um, they they um, they have to paint the submarine for some reason. So they stop and they get some red oxide paint, but they don't have enough. So they mix it up with some white paint, and of course they get this pink colour. <laughs> and they, they paint the submarine pink, and they're just about to paint it sort of gunmetal grey over the top as they would but of course the Japanese zeros come over again <laughs> yeah. and they have to take to sea in a pink submarine so they've got a pink submarine they stop at another island and they pick up a couple of local native women who are just about to give birth to babies and of course there's a Kerry Grant saying we can't take them on board and those pesky zeros come over again and they get them below decks so they're out at sea with two women having babies and um, everybody else and uh, a US Navy ship spots them and starts to depth charge them. And when they, they good submarine stuff, they go down, they've got to be silent running, they've got to be very quiet while they're getting depth charged. They come here for the kill, sir. Rig for depth charge and silent running. Clear the conning tower. Clear the conning tower. Clear the conning tower. All stop. All stop. Now, what is so difficult about keeping babies quiet? Captain, sonar says they're picking up something that sounds like babies crying. Stay on that sound. Stay on that sound. They may have a weapon we know nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how they how are they coping with um with you know things that normally come along with newborn babies like the need for oh, well, constant nappy changes board, and so yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and there's. They have it a trick like a where they shoot zone. stuff out the torpedo tube to sort of let the ship above um, uh, get the impression they've sunk, so they shoot rubbish out the torpedo tube. And um, they do that, and the, the US Navy ship is not fooled, so they tell all the women to take off their bras and undies and shoot them out the torpedo <laughs> tube. And the US Navy ship's sort of looking at all these bras floating in the water, so we don't know what's going on down there. So, yeah, look, it gets better or worse, depending on your perspective. But it's Operation Petticoat, and it's um, and great fun and just the right movie for International Women's Day, I believe. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to do my duty. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to have you back. Oh, I'm just trying. To... I haven't got a clue what's next. If that's, okay. that's the next question. Yeah, no, that was I'll, my next I'll question. Work it out. Yeah. I will look forward to it. That was very illuminating. Thank you, Dr. Beach. That's a pleasure. Thank you, Kent. Kent's been panelling for us today. This show will go up as a podcast at, uh, during the morning, so thank you so much. I think Kent's going to be sticking around and panelling for therapy too. You're so hardworking. We are also grateful. Um, thanks to Terry for our dive report, uh, Mark Rodriguez and John Duthie down there at Festival of the Sea. On our program next week, John's going to be in. Uh, we've got a whole lot of um, interviews that we're in the process of lining up at the moment. I'm going to keep them as a surprise. And stay tuned for Radiotherapy. They'll take you through to 11 o'clock. Have a wonderful week and a great Sunday. Bye for now.
Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R Sponsors. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.